have uh, been embarking on a series focused on the shiny objects in our life. Those things that bring about earthly allure but so often distract us from heavenly purposes. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at specific shiny objects and asking ourselves how we might uh, remediate them from our lives. Well, today we're going to go a step further. We're going to make the assumption that you've already gotten rid of all of those shiny objects by this point, I'm sure, just like myself. Uh, and, and we're going to say, okay, now that we've gotten to this point, how do we begin to grow our generosity? Tracy just talked to us about the difference between tithes and offerings. And many of us right now are in that place where we're struggling to reach that point of tithing, let alone moving beyond into a generous lifestyle of giving. But we know from Scripture that God calls us to a life of generosity. God calls us to cheerfulness in our giving. He calls us to a type of sacrificial living and giving that produces joy in us. And so how do we get from where we are right now to where God is leading us to in eternity? Well, over the past couple of years, I have learned a lot about generosity. I have grown significantly in my ability to give sacrificially. And believe it or not, I'm not talking about our Take Root campaign. Instead, I'm talking about my new role as a father. I have a little two-year-old boy, and I found out very quickly that having a two-year-old boy uh, required some level of sacrifice in my time, my talent, and my treasure. Shepard is unable to care for himself. He seems rather needy most of the time. And so my wife and I have given significantly of our time. Almost every waking hour is spent with Shepard and many hours that few would consider waking as he uh, wakes up crying in the middle of the night. We spend hours uh, trying to provide experiences for him putting our talent and our thought towards uh, creating opportunities for him to grow and challenge his mental development. And most importantly, a lot of our treasure is spent on caring for our son, specifically in making sure that he has a well-balanced diet. My wife and I carefully prepare every meal for him and, and, and help feed it to him. And, and as a toddler, he's rather particular about the types of things that he wants to eat, oftentimes denying vegetables as if they were not tasty. We carefully cut up his food and prepare it for him and then feed it to him. We make sure that it's the right temperature so that he doesn't spit it out, that it's the right size so that he doesn't chew on it for a moment before rejecting it. Every bite of food that this two-year-old has had in the last two years has been hand-delivered to him by my wife and I. Well, the other day, we were out in the backyard and we had just gone to a garage sale and we picked up this little grilling set for Shepard. And I told Shepard that I was going to be grilling hot dogs. And this kind of smile came across his face and he, he ran over to the deck and he climbed the stairs. Uh, and he got up onto the deck and he opened the lid of his grill. And, and standing beside me, he put uh, some of his plastic food on it. In fact, I think we have an image of he and I standing together grilling. 
And, and, and so Shepard put his corn on the cob on there. He put a little plastic steak on there, uh, a little grilled chicken, and, and he worked on it. He kind of mimicked the way that I was pressing down on the meat. And after just a few moments, he took the steak off of the grill. He had just barely seared it. It was raw in the center. Uh, he took the steak off the grill, and he put it on a little blue plastic plate, and he ran it over to me. And with this huge grin on his face, he handed it to me before warning me that it was hut, hut. So he was telling me it was very hot and that I needed to be careful, much like I do with him. And so I took this little plastic steak and I blew on it because I didn't want to burn my mouth. And then I gobbled it up and I was met by just a serenade of giggles. And, and he was smiling ear to ear and he took the plate and the steak back to the grill. He put it back on, he cooked it again, and again he ran it over to me. And he repeated this process over and over and over. And every time he gave me that food, he did so with a smile on his face uh, and laughing all the way. Well, in preparation for this message, I've been reading uh, a book called Plastic Donuts by uh, a man named Jeff Anderson. And, and Jeff Anderson says that this is actually a picture of what our generosity could look like in our relationship with God. He says that, that we, being God's children, have an opportunity to give back in reciprocity to what God has already given us, and that that experience of giving will produce this joy that we so often attribute to little children spending time with their parents. Well, I don't know about you, but rarely when the offering dish comes around am I met with overwhelming joy. More often than not, there's a sense of anxiety, maybe a sense of obligation, a hope that no one else is looking, and if they are, some way to explain that, you know, I give online. You see, generosity to me is not a joy-filled moment. Instead, it's filled with apprehension. When I balance my budget and, and measure out that 10% for my tithe, I, I, I'm not overwhelmed with giggles of laughter. Instead, I'm scratching my head trying to figure out how we will make ends meet and give, let alone go beyond that and give generously with joy in our heart. So today, we're going to begin to understand why it is that, that giving seemingly in our culture produces the opposite effect that Christ intended it to produce in his followers. Because Jesus, just like myself uh, and Shepard, doesn't actually need what we have to offer him. That steak that Shepard brought to me didn't provide me any nutrition. It wasn't something that I was going to save and keep and leverage for the future. Instead, it was an opportunity to see my son growing in his understanding of what it means to share. Well, in a similar way, God doesn't call us to give because he needs more capital. God calls us to give generously because it begins to shift our heart from being focused on earthly purposes to those that are bound in heaven. Well, we're going to open up in our scripture today to the Sermon of the Mount. And we're going to go into Matthew chapter 6, focused on verses 22 uh, through 23. Now, at this portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he is particularly concerned with wealth, treasures, and possessions. 
And, and this verse that we're about to read is a little bit peculiar because it seems out of place in the context of the rest of the message. It falls immediately after Jesus has talked about storing up treasure in heaven and, and immediately before he talks about how the birds of the sky and the lilies of the field uh, do not worry about where their next meal will come from. So Jesus, in the midst of talking about wealth and influence, uh, or wealth and affluence, has this to say. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Again, it seems like Jesus has become distracted in his message. He's on some tangent or rabbit trail that has taken him away from his focus on our treasure and begun to focus on something else entirely. But I've found this week that if you see this passage through the framework of, of treasure and wealth, it takes on a new meaning. Essentially, Jesus tells us that if we see God's provision through a lens that tells us our wealth, our talent, and our home are actually attributed to the workings of the world, then they will be bound to earth. In other words, if when we give, we see our, our generosity as something that has been produced by ourselves and is being given sacrificially from those things that I have earned, those possessions that I have, have deserved, then we will never have an opportunity to experience this abundant joy that comes from giving. On the other hand, if we are able to recognize everything in our life and the provisions that God has given us to heavenly purposes, then we will be able to make significant impact and have influence in eternal purposes. It seems rather simple. But if we want to experience the joy of generosity, we need to see our time, our talent, and our treasure through heavenly eyes. This is foundational in our ability to experience joy in generosity. You see, Shepard, whether or not he can consciously articulate this to you, recognizes that he is entirely dependent on his mother and I. He can do nothing if we are not supporting him and helping him through it. Similarly, we are called to recognize that everything that we have and all that we are is entirely dependent upon God. But you see... This is challenging to do in the culture that we live. We are bombarded by shiny objects. And those shiny objects are producing a glare in our eyes that are making it very difficult to seek God instead of wealth. To seek heavenly treasure instead of earthly possessions. As I was preparing for this, I, I had a a hypothesis. I wondered if in countries that were developing and struggling economically, if I might also see a certain level of growth 
in, in Christianity and faith. And so I did a little research and I found that the 10 countries that are growing most rapidly in their faith, that have uh, Christianity is just exploding and thriving in their region, are countries that fall in the bottom third of the human development index that's been put out by the UN. The UN puts out this study in which it aggregates three basic necessities of life. It looks at countries' ability to provide health care for their people. It looks at educational opportunity. And then it looks at um, standard of living. So wealth, health, and education. And it aggregates these three things and, and articulates a list that ranks countries from 1 to 189 on the basis of their ability to provide earthly opportunity for its nation. And like I said, seven out of those ten countries that are growing most rapidly in their faith, in which Christianity is exploding, fall in the bottom third of this human development index. What can we glean from that? Well, apparently, those people that are in context that they, do, they don't have the opportunity to experience provision like we have are much more likely to recognize every little thing that they are given as that which has been provided to them by God. So how do we get there? It's unlikely that Having heard this message, you will be compelled to sell everything that you have and move to Niger. It's unlikely that we will walk out these doors and have a disaster that will take everything from us. So how do we recognize and heed the warning of God's words that are brought to us from Matthew 19 that tell us that it's easier for a rich man or for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than a rich man into heaven? How do we heed those words and recognize the reality of the truth of that statement in our current context and still experience this deep-seated mutual joy that comes when we recognize God's provisions in our life? And we understand our dependence on our heavenly creator. Well, scripture continues uh, in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Actually, um, immediately preceding the verses that we just read, Jesus tells his followers and disciples, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Essentially, Jesus says that, that we don't necessarily have the opportunity to live in a culture in which it becomes glaringly obvious to us that we are dependent on God. But even so, if we prioritize heavenly purposes first before those earthly expansions, then we're going to begin to shift how our heart is motivated. In fact, the verse continues by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we grow in our giving and we make generosity a priority, our heart will follow with our actions. So often I have tried to get to a place of generosity uh, just by trying to produce goodwill. 
I've read verses that are found in 1 Corinthians 9, 7 that tell me not to give out of obligation or compulsion, but instead out of cheerfulness and assume that I need to somehow get to this joyful state before I would ever give in abundance. But I think the reality is for those of us living in our culture that is surrounded by shiny objects, sometimes the cart comes before the horse. And we need to be willing to take a step to prioritize our giving of our treasure, our time, and our talent in order to carry our heart with it so that we might experience this abundance. Well, I call this um, essentially the goldfish fishbowl effect. Now, some of you have probably been curious why we have um, two goldfish up here. Shepard named these fish yesterday, water and boom. Don't ask me why, but we've got two little goldfish here that are swimming around in this bowl. And, and many of us uh, remember the first goldfish that we ever owned. How many of us in here have owned a goldfish before in our life? And how many of those people had it in a bowl just like this? Most of us. I remember I was probably about five years old, and I went to the school carnival with my brother. And in one of those games, I won a goldfish. I couldn't believe how fortunate I was to be able to bring home a pet to my family, having won this carnival game. Now, as a parent, I recognize how frustrating that might have been. <laughs> and so I brought home this goldfish, and, and we put it in a little plastic bowl like this, and, and we made sure that it had the aesthetic appeal. We put the little plastic castle in and, and, and the rocks that were shiny and blue. Uh, and I had this goldfish that I named Smarty. And he lived on uh, the windowsill in my room and overlooked the garden. He had a great life. He lived in that bowl for about two years. He was healthy, he was energetic, and I spent hours upon hours staring into that fishbowl at him. But would you be surprised to know that goldfish are actually one of the biggest aquarium fish that you can own? Now that seems to uh, fly in contrast with how small Smarty was and how small these fish are. Well, actually, goldfish have a unique biological trait. They produce a hormone that allows them to regulate their body size on the basis of the bowl that they live in. So goldfish can grow to 16 inches long if they are in the right environment. So as the bowl grows, so too does the goldfish. Essentially, no matter how much the goldfish has, it will never be enough. How many of us does that ring true in our own life? As our resources expand, so too do our expectations of life, of education, of health. As the space that we have around us grows, so too do the pleasures that we pursue. And we find that no matter what, we are always living in a state of not enough. Well, I can say honestly that this has been the case for me. And I know I'm not supposed to talk about uh, salaries and, and payment here, but this is just so comical, I have to. My first job after college, I made $800 a month, $800 a month, and uh, that was pre-tax, but let's be honest that when you're making $800 a month, you don't get taxed 
very heavily. So I think my take home was about $792. Uh, I lived with five of my closest friends. We weren't closest friends before this point, but proximity wise, we were closest friends in a two bedroom house. Uh, my rent was $220 a month after it had been split six ways. Uh, our utilities ended up costing between eight to $12 a month. Uh, we were very frugal. Uh, we made ends meet, budgets were extremely tight. Uh, places like the Noodles and Company were fancy restaurants to us. In fact, I remember my then girlfriend and I, Brittany, went on one of our anniversary dates to Noodles and Company because it was such a step up from the restaurants that we typically frequented on dates. I can tell you my entire grocery bill from, the, uh, from October of 2011. I was saving uh, for an engagement ring at the time, and I wanted to find a way to uh, be more efficient in how I was spending this $800 a month in order to free up some capital to buy a ring. And I decided that, that clearly the things that I were, was eating uh, was in excess. I could cut down significantly on my grocery bill. And so for the entire month, I bought two things, two flats of 30 cans of Campbell's Chunky Beef Stew. And I kid you not, in the month of October 2011, I ate Campbell's Chunky Beef Stew for 60 straight meals. <laughs> Money was tight, okay? It was tight, but I made ends meet. I make more than $800 a month now. But I got to be honest, my finances have never been tighter. A lot of things have changed. I no longer live with five other adults in a two-bedroom home. A few years ago, my wife and I, after saving uh, for a long time, were able to purchase our own home. I no longer eat uh, Campbell's chunky beef stew for every meal. Instead, I have quite a diversity in my diet trying to uh, purchase things that will allow me to feel better and thrive. I don't wear the same hand-me-down clothes that I had been donning since my freshman year of high school. I've updated my wardrobe. I prioritized having cars that uh, provided for my family and were safe. And as my budget grew and as my resources grew, so too did my expense sheet. And I found that while I am still giving at the same percentage rate as I did when I made $800, that generosity hasn't grown with me over the years. But meanwhile, my expenses have grown exponentially. My mortgage is significantly more than $200 a month. My grocery bill is, is exponentially larger than two flats of soup. So why, when everything else in my life grew, did my giving stay flatlined? Well, it was because even when I was making $800 a month, I wasn't thinking when I get a raise, I can't wait to give more significantly. I was thinking to myself about all of the shiny objects that I someday wanted and someday could afford if I just made a little bit more. 
You see, Jesus heeds us to prioritize heavenly treasure. And when he says that, he doesn't say prioritize giving 10%. He says, look, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, where you spend your talent is where your heart will inevitably be led. And so if you want to live for eternal purposes, to make a kingdom impact, I heed you to store up treasure in heaven, to prioritize those heavenly objects rather than the pursuit of those shiny objects. Well, unfortunately, many of us already are the 16-inch goldfish, and our resources have probably reached their maximum capacity. So how do we get there? Well, unlike the goldfish, we have the ability to regulate our size. We don't actually have to grow with our resources. Sure, we might see some linear growth. We have more responsibilities. We have children now. We have spouses now. But we don't need to grow exponentially in this area. And so first, if you find yourself in a place where you're just starting out, if that story about eating uh, Campbell's chunky beef stew resonates with your current reality, I want to encourage you that right now you have the greatest opportunity to experience joy and the growth of your generosity than you will have for the rest of your life. Right now you can prioritize God's kingdom before your own in a way that will reap significant rewards in heaven in the years to come. And so if you find yourself in that place, I encourage you to think about where you can make an impact long term with that next race with that next growth. Think to yourself, what kind of significant change in this world could you make if God's kingdom was your first priority? And then as you experience a growth in your resources, commit to staying small so that you have a room around you to experience that mutual joy that is shared between you and God. There is a poet and a priest named George Herbert. And he says this, Do not wait. The time will never be just right. Start where you stand and work with whatever tools you may have at your command. And better tools will be found as you go along. If you buy into the myth today that someday when you have enough resources, someday when your fishbowl has grown and expanded, you will then make an impact in God's kingdom, you will find that you never will. You will find that your lifestyle will grow with your resources and you will feel just as tight tomorrow as you do today. Start now in growing your generosity, recognizing that in doing so, you will move your heart to a place of joy and cheerfulness that you could not possibly acquire if you waited for years down the road. Now, for those of us 
that are a few years down this path and we feel like that 16-inch goldfish trapped in the tank, we too are not bound by the biological characteristics of a fish. We can intentionally shrink our size in order to free up resources in our bowl. You'll notice, and I'm sure you're familiar, that every fishbowl that was ever owned had some sort of tchotchke in it that is just for uh, aesthetics. It does nothing for the fish. Uh, this one has a, a, a little treasure box. And believe it or not, I actually let Shepard pick out the toy that would go in there, and he chose a treasure box. So I'm not trying to, you know, twist the knife here. Um, there's a treasure box in this one. Some of them have castles in them. And by doing one simple thing of removing this little piece of plastic, these fish suddenly have so much more room to swim and to grow. And so if we find ourselves in that place where we are too big for the tank, ask ourselves, what is sitting in our fishbowl that has no eternal merit? What is it that we have placed in the center of our lives because it is alluring and it is shiny, but it actually serves no purpose? And ask yourself, are you willing to remove that from the bowl in order to create more space to make a heavenly impact? Because in removing that with the bowl, you cannot simply replace it with more earthly means, but you can change your heart by giving to God in a more exponentially generous capacity than you've ever done before. For some of us, it could be a really simple thing. Maybe we subscribe to the biggest cable and internet package you can possibly buy because I just have to have 100 megabits per second speed on my home internet. Maybe it's that we always want to have the brand new iPhone. We couldn't possibly live with an iPhone 6 when everyone else is on an iPhone X. For some of us, it's, it's a vehicle, a car. Whether it's a luxury car or one that is just excessive. Some of us could leverage homes and recognize that right now, I don't need to live at this extent. And if I didn't, I could grow in my generosity and I could experience a mutual joy. It's different for each of us. We all have a different shiny object that is central to our life. The question today becomes, are you willing to prioritize that earthly treasure over your heavenly growth? Or are you ready to make a decision that will open you up to a life of giving that you didn't possibly imagine being able to experience? Again, I'll remind you, when Shepard brought me that steak on the deck a few days ago, it brought me no provision. I took no sustenance from that plastic piece of meat. I didn't necessarily need it, but I received that gift because it showed me how his heart was changing. It showed me that he recognized my provision for him and he wanted to reciprocate. It showed me that not only was he willing to give something that was significant to him, but he did so cheerfully. 
and filled with joy. And that joy in my son brought about joy in his father. God doesn't need our shiny objects. This is not a phone-a-thon in which we need a few extra dollars to fund Heaven's development project. Instead, God recognizes that if we want to live our lives to the fullest, we must remove the shiny objects, the castles, the treasure boxes from our bowl in order to open up room to experience his provision at its fullest. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us greatly. But Lord, in looking at our blessings, we recognize that that provision oftentimes taints the lens through which we see the world. Lord, I admit that more often than not, I look at the treasures you have placed in my life and I attribute them to my own hard work rather than your provision. Lord, I pray that you would begin to mold our hearts. Lord, that we might take joy in a generous life. And Lord, I pray that we are willing to take the steps to prioritize your kingdom before our own, knowing that in the end, it will produce in us heavenly fruit that drives us towards a mutual enjoyment of joy in your kingdom. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.